excuse me, in verse 7 of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, this is what Paul writes. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, literally to beat me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that, I might, that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I, would, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think it is helpful for us to consider the two main issues that are illuminated, made clear in this passage. Number one, our sinful nature is quick to take glory from the blessings of God and the gifts of God for ourselves. We, we often claim for ourselves the things that really came from the Lord. And so we will say, we did that, or we accomplished that. And even if we know better than to say it out loud, we give our hearts over to believing that somehow we were responsible for the blessings and the good things, the stability, the successes, and all the things that we have enjoyed. That's our propensity. It's our nature to do that. Paul says to keep me from exalting myself, God gave me this uh, thorn in the flesh. He recognizes that, and I hope we'll recognize that today. And then secondly, when we are confronted with our true weakness, not that we are made weak, but we are made aware of our weakness. When we are confronted with our true weakness, we come to know through experience the sufficiency of God's grace, that his grace is enough. Now, I want to just sit on this and proclaim this as clearly as I can. You cannot know the power of God until you know your own weakness. You cannot know the sufficiency of God's grace until you are in need of his grace. And most of us spend the majority of our lives trying to avoid ever being in that position. But I'm going to say today that it's a gift of God when he allows us to understand, to appreciate, to know the truth of our weakness, because only in that moment do we also come to know the sufficiency of his grace. Thus, I want to simply preach these two points this morning, grace and weakness and grace to sustain. Let's begin with grace and weakness. Two things here. I, I believe that God's uh, grace in weakness, when God brings us to a point of recognizing, knowing, appreciating our weakness, there is both a protection and a gift there. So when we think about the protection, I want us to look at verse 7. Paul says, and because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Now, he's, he's talking about what he had just mentioned in the previous verses, and we'll get to that in just a moment here. He says, and because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. 
there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. So verse 7 references the great revelation that Paul had received some 14 years prior. Now, he didn't speak much about this revelation other than to say that he saw a vision of heaven and that he heard words inexpressible and unable to speak um, be, uh, to, to human understanding. And it must have been, for all we can gather from Paul, it must have been a, a quite amazing experience. Like in our day, religious charlatans often claim to have visions, to hear God speaking to them and to have visions of other things, particularly of heaven. In fact, even in our own day, there's been quite an industry of several books being written about people claiming to have gone to heaven, seen things, and coming back to, to tell us about them. Some have even claimed uh, to have been there and to be able to scribe things and talk about things there. But, but you'll notice one key biblical indication that such claims are false, even heretical, is that the people in Scripture who saw visions of heaven never described it. Paul says, it's in, it's, I'm unable to describe it. Lazarus, who died and, and, and had, had been with the Lord for a while and then was resurrected, never spoke about that. At least it wasn't recorded. Rather, he talked about the glory of Jesus and the hope of salvation. The Corinthians placed a lot of value on visions. And I wonder if it wasn't because of this that God may have given Paul this vision to allow him to speak and to be well received by the Corinthians. They loved this stuff. They liked it. Their religious charlatans used visions to give them authority and a hearing amongst the people. But as amazing as this vision must have been, Paul recognizes that in it there was a danger. The danger is that it, it, that it could allow him to, and lead him to exalting himself. I mean, the fact of the matter is not many people have visions of heaven. Paul knew that. Paul understood that not many people saw what he had seen, experienced what he had seen, had heard the words that he had heard, and there was a danger there of him allowing that to call him to be elevated into exalting himself, somehow believing that somehow he's better than, he's greater than, that he has some special, unique sense before the Lord. Well, this tendency is in us does not require a vision from, of heaven. We can allow the smallest of things to become opportunities to exalt ourselves. The list here is, I can't, is, is inexhaustible, but our health. The Lord has blessed you with health. We can allow that to exalt ourselves. Wealth. If God's given you great wealth, we can allow that to be something that we exalt ourselves. Look what I have done. Look what I have accomplished. Success in education or in your career. We can allow those things to cause us to exalt ourselves. Look what I have accomplished. Look how smart I am. Look how far I have succeeded. If your family is turning out halfway all right, it can be a, an issue of exalting. Look how good my kids are. Look how great my marriage is. I must be an amazing parent because they've all done well. Amongst the church world, church growth, we're like anybody else. We like to brag, and we'll brag about how many we have in church and Sunday school, how many people have come to know Jesus. I've often wondered, 
if we're either braggarts or liars, because if all the numbers we brag about were true, all the Southern Baptist churches I know would be so big, we'd have to build three times what we have. I've never met a guy that says, you know, my church is, is shrinking. I don't know what to do. It's always growing, baptizing more every day. Amen. Well, praise the Lord for that, exalting ourselves. Talents, whatever you have, whether you're a gifted speaker, you're a gifted singer, those can be things where we exalt ourselves. Look what I have done. Look what I can do. Any gift of God, any good gift of God that you have received in our sinful hands, in our sinful heart, can be an opportunity for us to take that and instead of giving God the glory for it, we can take that and begin to exalt ourselves and say, look what I have done and I have accomplished and how good I am. This thorn that God gives to Paul is not because God is a petulant God. This thorn that God gives to Paul, and we don't know what it was. There's been a lot of speculation about what it was. The only thing we do know is it must have been very difficult because Paul says he prayed three times. We're probably to understand that, not that he prayed necessarily just three times, but that it had been a constant, continuous prayer for him. God, take this away. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a, a very de de um, debilitating or difficult health issue, but every time, if you have, every time that thing kind of comes up and it causes you discomfort, that's an opportunity for prayer. Dear God, would you please bring healing of this from me? And I, I wonder if that's what it was with Paul, just constantly asking the Lord to, to release him from that. And he probably had some great reasons. Lord, I can do better ministry if I didn't have to bother with this. Lord, I would be freer to travel and go if I didn't have to bother with this. But he says, I pray three times for God to take this from me. And the answer of God to that was no. And Paul recognizes that the answer of no was because it was a gift to him, a protection to him, to keep him from exalting himself because of the great revelations that he had seen. God was protecting Paul from the serious sin of exalting himself above the Lord. The thorn in his flesh has not made Paul weak. The thorn in his flesh has revealed the truth of his weakness. And Paul recognizes it is an act of God protecting him against greater sin. And connected to that, I think we could say that this thorn, this grace in weakness, was a gift as well. Paul says that he prays repeatedly, and I, I think passionately, for this trouble to be removed from him. In his prayer request, he thinks that the blessing of God would be to remove what is troubling him. And I, I get that, and I think you do too. If you've had some issue in your life that is difficult, that is, that is of, of such great intensity that it captures the, 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 the significance of your prayer life, then you understand how the, the, the answer of that, of removing it from your life, would be recognized by you as God's blessing. God, if you really want to bless me, take this away. Fix this problem. Remove this issue. Heal me from this uh, this thing that I'm dealing with. That's how I think that God would bless me. I think that's how Paul approached it. God, surely this is not of you. Surely this isn't good. Surely you would rather this be taken from me. And so he says, I pray three times. But in verse nine, Jesus answers this request with a simple no. He answers it with a no and an explanation, which is a, a gift of grace in and of itself. The answer of no is God, Jesus says, no, I won't re remove the thorn in your flesh. 
This is just going to be you, Paul. This is what you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your days. No, this is my gift to you. And the reason is he gives an explanation that his power, God's power, is more beautifully known in our weakness. Look at what he says in verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. That's the no. (laughs) Nope, you're going to keep the thorn because my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. In other words, you'll know the power of God more perfectly, more beautifully, more clearly in the context of your weakness. This is why I say that our weakness is a gift. Listen to me carefully here. God, infinitely sovereign, powerful, could, if he so chose, He could allow us to never know any suffering. It could be the will of God, the decision of God, to declare today that no believer would ever know a moment of suffering. It could be the declaration of God today that we would never know any suffering physically, that you would never know any pain. Wouldn't that be wonderful? At least we think it would be, wouldn't it? You got something hurting on you right now? Wouldn't it be great if God said forever and ever and evermore, today in this world you won't know any pain? It would be, God could, if he wanted to, declare right now that no believer would ever know any suffering emotionally. Those of you who struggle with depression, no more. It, it could be that God could say right now, none of you will ever experience any more suffering of any kind, mental or physical or anything like that. God could right now declare that we would never know a moment of disappointment where you had hoped for something that didn't come to fruition. But listen carefully. If we never knew such things, we would never truly understand the reality of our weakness. And if we do not appreciate the reality of our weakness, we cannot and we will not know the power of the living God. And that's why I say there's grace in weakness in that when Jesus says to Paul, no, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. There's a testimony here that he's giving Paul a gift. Paul, I want you to know more beautifully, more precious, more more clearly the power of God. Those who think themselves sufficiently powerful never call on the name of the Lord. But those who do not call on the name of the Lord also don't know the glorious and mighty things that God can do. God wants Paul to know his power, and I think God wants you to know his power. But to know the power of God, you must know the weakness of your own flesh. There is grace in weakness. But secondly, there is grace to sustain. So there, there, there's a difficult word, I think, here, and that is, I mean, nobody likes the answer no. When you ask for something you want, you're asking it because you think that's what you need. And so for God to say to Paul, no, is a difficult, disappointing answer. But, but there is a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a flip side here. There's a, there's a positive side here where God says no to your request. But listen to me, Paul. My grace is enough. My grace is sufficient. My grace is enough for you, no matter what you are struggling with. A couple of things here. God's grace is enough to sustain us in our weakness. 
That word that is translated as sufficient means to be adequate for a particular purpose with the implication of leading to satisfaction. In other words, it's enough to get you where you need to be. Paul boasts here in his weakness, not because he enjoys being weak, but because he understands that the Lord is strong enough. He's boasting in God. It is the very opposite of exalting himself. Where the thorn keeps him from exalting himself, his weakness allows him to boast in the Lord. Dear friends, Jesus is enough to provide. He's enough to protect. He's enough to make a way. He is enough to heal. He is enough to give wisdom, to restore, to redeem, to rescue. He is enough in all things. In our weakness, we are, not, we are, we are only aware of what we cannot do. But when we behold the sufficiency of his grace, his strength overwhelms our weakness and we behold the power of God. Listen to me. I don't believe we know yet what the Lord can do in his power. I don't believe yet we know the fullness, the greatness, the the vastness of the power of God. For that matter, I'm not sure we'll ever know until eternity upon eternity we've had opportunity to see the great power of God. But we know that power greater. We know that power more intimately when we find ourselves in weakness. God's grace is enough when we find ourselves weak and in a moment of weakness. There's grace to sustain, to keep us in weakness, and there is grace to sustain. There is grace enough when we are oppressed. Paul says in the end, verse 10 there, therefore I am well content with weakness. In other words, I have learned that this is where I ought to be. I'm well content with weakness, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake, for I, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, hear me carefully. I don't think what Paul is saying is I like. I'm not even real sure you could say he would say he prefers. Who likes insults and distresses? Who likes persecutions and difficulties? Who likes being weak? But what he is saying is I have discovered that where I need to be for the glory of God and the advancement of the kingdom where I need to be is content with all of these things because he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Therefore, we can say he is declaring there is enough grace. There's enough sustaining grace when we find ourselves even in moments of oppression. When those who are being, find themselves in a, in a context of being attacked, we don't have to defend ourselves. We can rest that Jesus is our champion. Some of you right now, friends, are your hearts, your emotions are in turmoil because you watch the news and you think the world is falling apart. But I got news for you. That's not a new thing. The world's been broken since Genesis 3. And there is nothing that happened this past week or the week before that or that will happen in the years to come that is any worse than anything that has happened since Genesis 3. This world is broken. And those who call on the name of Jesus have been the target of hatred and vitriol from the wicked world since Genesis 3. It should be our expectation to be hated by the world. Those who love Jesus 
will be hated by the world. If he knew suffering and he knew persecution, his followers will know suffering and persecution. And do you know what Paul says here in verse 10? His grace is sufficient. His grace is enough even in moments of distress and persecution. Somebody say amen. For those who are being attacked, Jesus is our champion. For those who are being taken advantage of, Jesus is our defender. For those who are being mistreated, Jesus is our deliverer. When you're among the oppressed, it feels like the deceiver is making great advances. And I I admit to you, absolutely it feels that way today. It feels like Satan is advancing. You can read the statistics. And they'll tell you that the fastest growing religious group in America today are the nuns. That's not Catholic women. That is in nuns, meaning no religious affiliation at all. In other words, what is the fastest growing religious sex, uh, uh, demographic in America are those who are just secularist, who don't even, have, don't even say, well, my grandmama used to go to church, so I'll call myself a Christian. They are so far removed from anything that they don't, see, they don't connect themselves with any faith at all. And dear friends, that's not a neutral reality. As the world turns away from the testimony of a biblical worldview, they are turning against those who follow Jesus. It seems like the deceiver has made great advances amongst our culture, in our families, in our churches. I love to read histories. I was reading a history this week about some things in the church, in Georgia Baptist churches in the 1880s and 90s, and it talked about, oh, that there was great concern amongst the pastors because in their churches, people were giving themselves to dancing and frivolousness, reading novels and such. And I read that, and I thought, I'd like to go back to those days. I mean, that seems rather, rather mundane, to the issues of sin that plague not other people's churches, but our church. It feels like the deceiver is advancing in our culture, in our, in our church, in our families. It seems like evil is running unchecked in the world. But dear friends, the word of God declares his grace is sufficient no matter the circumstances. You got a choice today. You can go home this afternoon, you can watch the news, and you can get all your heart rate all up high and your blood pressure built up, and you can worry what you're going to do, or you can come to this passage and declare that in our weakness, God is strong. Amen? That when we don't have the power to change it, we recognize that God is already never has been challenged in the one who can change all things, and that his grace is sufficient, and that we need to find ourselves um, content, comfortable with uh, uh, recognizing this is where we ought to be, right where God wants us, in our weakness, that his power might be demonstrated in our world, in our family, in our church, in our homes, and in our lives. His grace is enough when we are oppressed, and his grace is enough even when we are suffering. I don't care who you are. I don't care the story of your family. Everybody in this room is suffering the consequences of a fallen world, whether you know it or not. Some of you know it more painfully than others. If you're grieving the loss of a loved one today, You are suffering the consequences of living in a fallen world. The creation of God was created not with death. 
God never intended for us to know the suffering and grief of death. That is a, that is a direct result of Genesis 3 and our sin. Some of you know it more painfully in that you're dealing with the news of a terminal disease. Some of you know it more, more painfully today because you're hurting from broken relationships. The list can go on and on and on. But dear friends, in our suffering, whether great or small, His grace is sufficient. Our world is suffering today because of COVID-19. COVID-19 and every disease like it is not something that is something new or fresh. It is, amongst everything else, the consequence of living in a fallen world. Dying of COVID-19 is no different than dying of a Mack truck hitting you in the, on the interstate. Death is the result of living in a fallen world. And what Paul is saying is, when I am weak, he is strong. Whether that is in suffering or in oppression or in weakness or anything else, in those moments, we know the power of a living God. I've come to believe that the consequences of the pandemic on the church are likely to be quite more severe than we had originally believed and much more long-lasting than we had hoped. I also believe that, <clears throat> that these consequences will, their true extent won't be known for much more time, maybe years to come. I want to just kind of give you a glimpse into my own heart as I've walked through these last few months. So sometime after March of last year, when we still thought that the shutdowns and the social distancing efforts would really be temporary, it was easy to think in those days that we go through a hiccup, a difficult moment, shut down for a few weeks, social distance for a little while, wear a few masks, and then after a little while, we would just come back and everything would be as it was when we stopped. But now some 11 months in and likely many more months still remaining, I no longer think that we return to what we were prior to the pandemic, and I I'm not even sure what we look like when we, and even what returning looks like and when that will be. To be totally honest, I fear that many will become accustomed to not attending church. Sometimes people will tell you what they're really thinking. I was uh, speaking to somebody about some efforts we were thinking about doing to, to allow folks who had been fearful to attend church to come back to church. And, I was sharing it with somebody that I thought would be affected, and they said to me, well, you know, Pastor, I, I really like sitting in the house watching TV and going to church. And I thought, what he was saying to me is not coming back no matter what you do. And I thought, oh. Honestly, I fear that some of our senior adults won't be able to return. I think the consequence of being home and lonely for this long will, will be a greater consequence on them than, than we imagine. 
I fear that those who are only nominally connected to the church will be lost. In every fellowship, there were those that sort of had one foot in, one foot out, were attending maybe once a month, maybe twice a month, but they weren't really connected, not connected to a Sunday school, not connected to other ministries, just really in worship service. And, um, but, but now we've gone long enough, they've been gone long enough that I, I think even if we went back tomorrow, it'll take years to recapture some of them. So last year, not long after the church had gone through our first shutdown and had begun to meet again, I got a call from an employee of the Georgia Baptist Convention. And we were just talking about how we were responding to, to COVID and the shutdowns and, and how other churches were responding uh, to the shutdown. And he was telling me about some of the difficulties that other churches were experiencing. And he was asking me how Central was doing. At that moment, our giving was great. In fact, at that moment, I believe our giving was actually more than it was when we were meeting in person. I was very thankful for that. We had come back to church. Our Sunday school had started back up. We were running a little better than maybe half of what we were uh, when, before we had shut down. And I thought that was a good number to be at in, in the room uh, attendance. Our online watching attendance was pretty strong. And, and I told him, I said, man, we, we're doing great. He was telling me how some churches had less than a quarter of their people coming back. He's telling me about some churches whose giving had just completely dissipated and, and they weren't able just to do the basic things like paying the light bill and pastors thinking about what do you do when church can't make their salary and having to go part-time, all these things. And I thought, man, we're doing great. And listen, this is just total honesty, secret issues of my heart. As I told him how great this church was, what I thought I was doing was bragging on you what the Lord was doing. That's how I posted, oh, God's been so good to us. But I really was exalting in myself. I was exalting in the church, not in Jesus. So what, what, we're 11 months in now? And I think often about that conversation and how I was thinking about the power and strength of this church and our own ability and not the sufficiency of the grace of God. I hold two unshakable confidences in the power of Christ. Number one, Jesus will preserve the church and the gospel witness until he comes again. Now that doesn't mean that he'll preserve a particular church. But I believe until Jesus comes back, whether that be tomorrow or a thousand years from now, that Jesus, according to his power and his will, will preserve the church and the gospel witness. And secondly, I holds an unshakable confidence that there is nothing beyond the control and power of the sovereign God. Not the rise and fall of nations. Jesus was sovereign when Rome was the biggest nation in the world and he was still sovereign when they were no more. He was sovereign when Britain ruled the seas and he was sovereign when this nation here was founded. And if he tarries 
and a thousand years comes and goes and nations rise and fall, at the end of that, he'll still be sovereign over all of that, putting kings in place, removing kings. Nothing is beyond the control or power of the sovereign God, not the rise and fall of nations, the rise and fall of economies, the the presence and destruction of plagues and pandemics. This is not the first, dear friends, and it won't be the last pandemic if the Lord tarries. He's sovereign and powerful, unshakable in, in, in all things, no matter the advancement of secularism and the accompanying hostility of, uh, toward people of faith, dear friends. Though we perceive as the, 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 the current rise of secularity as something new, it is not new. And Christians, well, the church was born in the context of persecution, a context of persecution that we've never known, that even in this day we don't know. I, I read the stories of the early believers and the, and, the, and the horrible things that were done to them, and we haven't known a, 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 just even a fraction of that. And in all of those seasons, God was sovereign and powerful and mighty. Nothing is beyond the power and control and sovereignty of God in that rise and fall of nations, the rise and fall of economies, plagues or pandemics, the advancement of secularism, or any other threat to the children of God or the church of God. Here's what we know to be true. Listen to me carefully. No matter what is on the news today or tomorrow, God's grace is sufficient. Our hope is not built on a vaccine. Our hope is built on the sufficiency of the grace of God. Our hope is not built on an election. Our hope is sustained by the sufficiency of the grace of God. Our hope is not tied up with the nation. Our hope is tied up with the sufficiency of the grace of God. Our hope is not tied up with our personal health or our wealth or any other thing. Our hope is tied up with the sufficiency of the grace of God. So we can say today, we can say today, let nations rise and nations fall. Our God is sovereign. We can say today, if today I'm well and tomorrow I die, my God is sovereign. We can say today, if today I have money and tomorrow I am poor, my God is sovereign. Learn to be content. Whatever comes our way, whether it be rise and fall of nations, wealth or poverty, sickness or health, persecution or any other thing, we find the glory of God, the power of God in our weakness because we have discovered that His grace is enough.